Warning. This episode contains adult language and adult humor. Since when have trumpet players ever been considered adults? If you are easily offended by these types of conversations, consider switching to the oboe. Welcome to the Trumpet Gurus Hang Podcast. I'm your host, Jose Johnson. My guest for this episode is Kate Amrine. Kate is a New York-based performer and educator. Besides being a gifted trumpet player, Kate is on a mission to give voice to those who are too often overlooked. And whether it's in her quest to commission and perform new music or her involvement with Brass Out Loud, Kate is a musical and social force to be reckoned with. So, pour yourself a big glass, pull up a chair, and let the hang begin. All right, welcome to this episode of the Trumpet Guru's Hang, and I am with Ms. Kate Amrine. Kate is a phenomenal individual. Uh, I'm just really impressed with the things that she's doing, uh, both as a musician and as a social advocate. So I'm just really, really pleased uh, to have her on the show, and I hope that you guys will be challenged in your thinking by listening to this episode today. So let's just jump into it. Kate, how are things with you? Hello. Well, things things are as they are. They're, I would say they're mostly good. Um, but because of the cold weather in New York, I haven't been playing outside as much. So I feel like I'm really, really longing to play with people, as I'm sure everyone listening is experiencing as well. Um, but yeah, I'm just looking forward to starting another semester with my students and lots of practicing and recording at home. Aha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, there's there's everybody. I mean, you're, you're always going to find people that are going to be in all ends of the spectrum. But, um, you know, there, there's so many people who have found themselves kind of in a, a dark place because of the lack of gigs. Um, and then there are other people that I've talked to that have used this time as a period of introspection and a period of uh, renewing their fundamental love for the trumpet, not just trying to keep your chops in shape for the next gig, but actually getting back to that love of practice just because that's what you want to do. So uh, what have you done to uh, keep your your sanity as much as any trumpet player is, is sane? Uh, what have you been doing to, to, to keep your keep your head straight during this time? Well, I've been practicing a lot, as I mentioned. Um, I think I've I'm in that camp of discovering a new love for the instrument and inspiration. Um, I, as a freelancer, honestly, I was pretty busy. I was really lucky to be so busy in New York that I wasn't practicing as much as I am now. Um, and so when everything slowed down, it was really crazy to have that time. But then also it was kind of scary because I was like, oh, there are all these areas of my playing that I didn't realize were here and I want them to be here. So in that sense, it's been you know inspiring and exciting to have the time to get to work on these things, but also, um, yeah, it's like it's humbling because it's hard to face the things that you're bad at every single day. And especially after so many years of like thinking I was like hot shit or something, you know, and I'm like, oh, wait, actually, like, here's this hole in my playing that I really, really need to address. So it's been great to have the time to do that. I've also been like, you know, like everyone else learning how to record and edit and, you know, audio and video and all of that. So that's been an amazing experiment as well. Um, and not even talking about like recording quality or like the techniques of stuff, but just like literally the aspect of pressing record and then listening to myself every day is crazy how much you learn. And of course, you know, we all tell our students to do it too, but was I one of those people that was doing it every day? No. Yeah. <laughs> so, but now I am, especially now because I'm doing a hundred days of practice challenge on Instagram. So like every day I'm forcing myself to record and post something. So that has been uh, really fun as well. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, I see in the background there a, a, a mute collection. Uh, you trying to uh, to keep up with Josh Rezepka with your uh, <laughs> your collection of mutes? I never keep up with Josh. I have a I have a bunch. I just wasn't really sure where else to put them. It just kind of like works so well there, especially because like I teach and you know record and practice from this chair, and so it's so easy. 
Like, honestly, I'm that person who would forget a mute off stage in a solo show and then like run off in between pieces. And so like now I'm like, nope, they're all here. Like I can grab it in the middle of the piece if I need to. So there you go. There you go. All right. Well, let's talk a little bit about the stuff that that, uh, you have going on. I'm really, really intrigued to know more about Brass Out Loud that uh, the concept, first of all, um, just just really blows my mind and uh, the people that you've got. Uh, that you're involved with in this this program so um i don't think you know maybe there are people out here that do, who aren't hip to what's going on so why don't you uh enlighten us if you will for sure yeah so brass out loud is a organization dedicated to uplifting and inspiring brass players everywhere so we recently started our first workshop it happened january 8th through 10th and we had 23 faculty members of which 70 percent were female trans non-binary and or bipoc which is some pretty crazy diversity uh, when you think about it, because most of the brass uh, seminars and workshops that I've been seeing popping up in this time have been like 90%, you know, cis white men. And I'm just like, really? Like there are these amazing voices out there who our students and, you know, our colleagues should be hearing from who are not being seen um, presented at these workshops. So that was our inspiration first starting. So, um, we're more than just a workshop in the sense that we're going to be doing events throughout the whole year in addition to our January workshop, which was virtual, of course. So we had 50 people, 50, I think over 50 participants join us on Zoom from over four countries, which was super, super cool. Um, definitely made time zones a little crazy, uh, and so which was really fun. And then we had an awesome age range of thir- like around 13, I think, to over 60, which was pretty incredible. Wow. Uh, so with the demographics, were was there a a, 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 mi- a nice mix or was it, uh, you know, more uh, towards the non-male uh, population that, that was engaged in this? It was being incredible. I mean, like in our social media and advertising, we were really trying to tell everyone, like, this is a workshop for you, like, even if you are a cis white male. Um, and where our gender representation, as far as we could see from our surveys, uh, which was pretty evenly split, which was really incredible. I've been to some workshops that are designed or like presented by like an all female group or like all female faculty. And then, yeah, it's kind of weird to see like all women as students or registrants in the workshop. And it's amazing to be a participant in something like that because you're like, oh, here are all these people that look like me, like how cool. But I think now, especially we need to have, you know, the door open for everybody events because it's especially the people that are not in those groups who need to be here in on those conversations and to be listening and to be colleagues with people that don't look like them so that we can like further change what the brass community looks like. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, the brass community is just a, a microcosm of what's going on socially. Uh, and you know, it, it, it sucks that we have to have the conversation of, uh, the need to be inclusive. Uh, it's, it's the stupidest conversation in the world to have. But it's the most necessary one to have because, you know, if you're not, if you're not even, I, don't, I hate to use the word majority because mm-hmm. the, the majority of the people that are in power are certainly, you know, we, yes. we know who they, who they are, but that's not really the majority. It's just, it's just the, the group that, that seems to, to have a stranglehold on things. Mm-hmm. So I think it's so, it's so important that we, as musicians, because music, music is supposed to be this universal language. It's supposed to be something that, that transcends all of our boundaries. But uh, when you get into the nuts and bolts of it, especially in uh, education, in the, especially up higher education, it's so skewed and there are restrictions uh, that are systematically in place to prevent people that don't fit that mold into uh, achieving the, the kind of uh, status that, that they really deserve. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and even things like geographical restrictions, because we we're all on Zoom together and, you know, because of different time zones and age ranges and um, genders, you know, we can never fit that many people safely in a room from so many different places and have people connect in that way. And so it was really amazing in that sense, too, um, because, you know, even even if you can take a lesson online with someone who's, you know, a superstar in another country or something, sometimes the actual like equity of getting those two people to know each other and to actually have that person answer your email. And maybe you're someone younger and you like, don't even know how to use email and, you know, couldn't possibly contact this famous person for lessons. Um, so we're, you know, 
very much like trying to hit those things as well and like literally bring these superstar players to people who may not have access to them otherwise. Yeah. And yeah, that that's a big part of what I try to do with this podcast as well is that, uh, yeah, I've been lucky mostly because I'm just obnoxious. I'll just go up and start talking to people. Uh, I don't I don't worry about it. But uh, not everybody has got uh, the the financial resources to be able to go. Well, you know, in the old days, you know, the, the old days when we used to be able to get together in person and travel to an event. <laughs> oh, yes, the old days. Yes, uh, when I was a young trumpet player. Uh, so now we yeah we 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 not everybody had the opportunity to do that, even when it was a possibility. Yes. And uh, then there is always that kind of clickiness and, and you had to have mm-hmm. kind of a, a way to get in and, and then you, know, you get to go to the cool hangs. Um, but, you know, I just wanted to be able to do something that gave that opportunity to that young player in the middle of nowhere where, you know, they, they don't have these these kind of options. You know, if you're in New York, yeah, you, you can go down to the, to the local uh, restaurant or bar and, and probably bump into someone like a Wynton Marsalis or, a, you know, incredible, yeah. yeah, but you know, if you're in, in, you know, BFE, uh, you, you don't have that opportunity. You, you're, you're not going to run, you're rarely going to run into people. So I think it's so important that, you know, if you have the ability to put people together, which seems to be, uh, one of your critical skills, uh, to be able to manage things, uh, that that it's really a cool thing to do because you're giving people the opportunity uh, to make connections that they otherwise wouldn't. So uh, yeah. it, you've you've uh, done a lot of work as a contractor as well. Uh, has that skill come in? Is that something that you've always done? Have you always been kind of that that connector that that manager? Yeah. I think I have. I love it's funny that you called it bringing people together because yeah, that is the thing that I love to do. So when I was when I first moved to New York, you know, I wanted to play on Broadway and I loved playing musicals. But when I was at school, we only did one musical a year. And I was like, well, that's not enough. Like, how am I going to learn how to do this super, super well if I'm only doing it like once or twice a year? And so I met a music director friend and I would get an orchestra, like a full 20 to 40 person orchestra for our reading session. And he would get the full cast and everyone would bring food and beer and we would just read through shows. And we honestly did probably like 10 to 20 different shows like this. And it was so much fun. And like, yeah, we like ran through the whole show, no dialogue. We would stop and like, you know, redo a section if it was like a hot mess or something. Um, But yeah, it was a great opportunity to hang and meet with people. And I would ask people that I like had really, really been longing to play with. And like nobody had to say yes, we were all just there volunteering our time for free. Um, But very, you know, a few times that people actually say no. So I got to play with some like serious cats at these sessions. Um, And so that was a really fun thing that I did bringing people together. Yeah, well, the world needs more people like that. And um, Mm -hmm. so with uh, the 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 stuff that you're doing, you know, between the uh, Brass Out Loud um, and uh, the new music stuff that you're doing. And it seems like the, the common theme is that you're you seem to be passionate about uh, one, connecting people, but two, uh, giving voice to those people whose voices uh, tend to be not listened to or not heard for various reasons. Um, what what started that? Well, I've actually been doing it for years. I just want to preface this by saying, because I feel like so many people now are like, yes, program music by diverse composers. And I'm like, yes, I have been doing this for years, but also I'm going to continue to tell you to do it now because it's trendy and everyone should be doing it. And so just wanted to point that out (laughs) because yeah, like I, I'm not hopping on the trend here. It's not cool to now you know have music by black composers on your concert it's like this is a thing that i've been thinking about for a while and that so many other people have thought about for a while and like thank you all for just joining us to this conversation because it's important glad you're here um so yeah it's definitely something i've been thinking about with my first album i commissioned a bunch of female composers and found a bunch of un premiered works um, also by female composers and, you know, decided that that was going to be the focus of my first album. And then with my second album, I was focusing on new music for trumpet inspired by politics and social concepts. So I was thinking about like specific issues, but also specific people. And I made sure that the whole album was like, you know, people from all different groups. 
um, genders, you know, races, all of that good stuff. Um, so that it could be like, if I'm talking about actual issues that everyone in the world is struggling with, like that, it looks like people who are all in the world, not like in my corner of like hipster genified book, Brooklyn or whatever. So, yeah, well, you know, that's, that's interesting because, um, I have a, a good friend who is a manager, like an upper level manager in a big, you know, global corporation. And we were having a conversation recently about, uh, diversity and you know he he's a you know he's from England and uh he's he's saying you know I, I thought that I was you know really good at you know keeping a, an open mind about everybody but I, I you know suddenly looked out at all the people that I hired and they're mm-hmm. they're primarily white males and he goes why is that I know that mm-hmm. I know that there are more qualified people and it dawned on him that the problem wasn't that if you know he wasn't picking a white male over a female of color or you know anything it wasn't it wasn't that he was always picking the right person for the job it was the fact that the recruiters were only getting those people and so it's like if we want to change and you know he talked to the director of hr and he said if we want to change the diversity in this company we have to start looking different places because if we keep looking at if we keep going to the same places we're going to keep getting the same people so we need to to cast a wider net so we need to start looking at different places so uh, i think with with music it's the same thing you know uh, we we tend to go to those same spots whether you know if you if you're looking for a classical player you're going to look at Juilliard you're going to look at Eastman you're going to look at this and you're going to look at these places and there are lots of places out there where there are a lot of talented people that just yeah they don't have the ability to get into those name or prestige programs that have just as much talent and in some cases maybe even more uh Definitely. So I think that what you're doing is is so good in um, giving voice to those people uh, that, as I said before, otherwise would be would be ignored. But, you know, th- there's got to be something. Uh, yeah. And you, you said that you've been doing this for a while in terms of the new music, but there has to be something that you could point to and say, yeah, this is this is where my passion for being the the champion for the uh, the underserved comes from you know what what is it in your life that just kind of has has been the spark for you to take on these type of causes i don't know honestly i think it's probably just being a female trumpet player in new york and the fact that there's so few of us and so i'm so used to being the only women in the brass section on gigs and realizing that like yeah there is nobody else that looks like me and then hearing so many comments over the years of like, I didn't know there were women trumpet players, you know, and like stuff like that. I'm just like, oh, really? Like there's so many people we're out here. So I think like having that happen so many times, I'm just like the world needs to know about these things. And like, this is what I see. Um, At least with programming, I see it more as like a lot of like really big soloists and other people that I would look up to and say like, oh, I want to be like them. Like, I want my career to look like that. And I would look at the albums they were recording and concerts that they were doing, um, you know, for like chamber series and stuff like that. I'm like, wait, why is it all music by dead by man? Like nobody needs to hear the Hummel again. Like, I love it. I'm totally working on it right now for a recital, but like we would be fine if it was never played again. I'm sorry say that I'm like I'm totally still gonna program it but I'm also gonna program other pieces by people who are alive now um and people who are not alive now who we've like you know very rarely heard in the classical world um and other genres too for sure so I think probably with that and just realizing like this is something that we all should be thinking about like teachers and students for sure at least what you were saying before about bringing people together and like what we can all do. Um, I think the big thing is, yeah, like trying to hire people that don't look like us, which is a really big thing. And it's so easy to hire, you know, the other people in your studio who all are like living in the same dorm or like, you know, we're all like, it's, I mean, it goes back to like locker room talk and like these groups of like, everyone's the same gender and we're all hanging out on the band bus together. So it's like, we're not gonna hire that other person who's like literally not in the same room as us. 
Um, but the more that we can like extend the invitation across the table to those people who are not necessarily in the same dressing room before the concert as us, who maybe weren't invited to like the beer hang because they weren't in that room also. Um, and so the more we can, you know, reach out to those people to be included and to be hired on gigs. So we don't have all of these brass quintets or brass ensemble concerts that are all white men. And I'm just like, really? Like, how is it possible? Um, Definitely in the jazz world, we are seeing it a lot too. It's like a whole big band and you couldn't find a woman to be in it. Like, that's crazy. There are so many women playing jazz. Like you didn't think to ask anyone. Um, so things like that, you know, we need to hire diverse voices as well. Yeah. Yeah. It, there, there's so much of it and it. It's, it's a, it's a kind of yin yang thing. It, there, there's like, you want to network, you want to work with people that you're comfortable with. Uh, in terms of, uh, you know, if, if I know that if, if I get a call for a session, uh, I've got a group of people that I've just worked with for so long that it's kind of second nature. We don't have to really talk about much. It's mm -hmm. just like, you know, I write a chart and they know exactly how I like to phrase things and articulate things. So it's just, it's, it just makes my job easier. Um, however, there does become a level of where you, you paint yourself in a corner because you don't have, uh, new ideas. You don't have, uh, fresh takes on things. And I think that that's where diversity comes in that, um, having people with different perspectives, people, but different backgrounds, different experiences, they add to the process and as opposed to detract from. So, um, yeah, I, I really am very, very, I try to be very conscious of the fact that, yeah, there, there has to be a little bit of uh, being willing to step outside of your comfort zone if you want to grow personally. And then obviously as, as a art, if we want music to grow, we have to step outside of our comfort zone, uh, what, we're, what we're willing to do, what we're willing to listen to, what we're willing to try uh, if we wanna make it grow. So um, where your comfort zone, where have you stretched your comfort zone over the past, uh, past few, few years you're not old enough to be talking about decades so <laughs> yeah I, I will admit maybe not decades but um honestly everything since March since everything shut down I feel like I've been pushing myself and stretching that um because I used to be one of those people that was really scared of technology and I was working on a computer that was 10 years old and it was windows and my I was using like windows live movie maker to edit videos and I I could do I could put in you know, an MP3 with my video. And that was the extent of my editing skills. And now I'm doing like all these fancy projects. And so I really had to just like take the time and be like, okay, I'm not stupid. I can figure this out. Like I'm going to watch some YouTube videos about it. I'm going to ask a million questions. I'm going to Google literally every single step of like, how do I cut and paste and like things like that. Like I've searched for everything. So in that sense, I think I definitely pushed the comfort zone with that. Um, even just with practicing, like being willing to sit down and be like, yeah, I'm really not great at that thing. Like, how am I going to better? Okay. Like I'm going to practice this and this and like actually do it. I think I, I see with my students, sometimes we get scared to practice the things we're, the, we're like really, really bad at. You're like, oh, it'll be fine. Cause like, I'm never going to do it. And you're like, no, it's not fine. Like you really should practice something. And so, I mean, I went down the mouthpiece safari a little bit. I know we're not going to talk about gear too much. Um, but that's been really great to be like, okay, is my stuff really working? Like, how can I make my equipment as efficient as possible? And having the time now to figure it out has been really great. All right. Well, actually, that, that makes a, a good segue because I did promise you that we would talk about gear. And yes, audience, <laughs> we are going to talk about gear. We're trumpet players. Come on, give me a break. I'm sorry, I have but to. no, 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 it's okay. It's, it's, so I just, I actually have, have uh, added this new segment and it's uh, called Gear Up. And so what I would like to do is I'd like to talk about your gear just a little bit. So, uh, yeah, but, but it's always going to take a little, little left turn at some point. So for, so basically what are you playing right now? So I play on a Bach trumpet, um, B flat and C and my pick and my flugel are Yamaha. And because I'm a Dennis Wick artist, I'm using my Dennis Wick mouthpiece for trumpet and cornet. I use the, I mean, since I have it right here, we're going there. It's the 3C Ultra. So it kind of looks like a Monette in the sense that it's like thicker, I guess you could say. Um, which to me, it just feels like, you know, the same like Bach 3C that I've been on for years, except better because so many things. Definitely don't need to go into all the dirty details of all the things that are better about it. Um, for commercial playing, I use the Bob's Reeves, Bob Reeves 42S and M for like lead playing and jazz stuff, which I love. Um, 
think that's it. Oh, and then Flugel, I use an AR resonance mouthpiece. Okay, cool. Yeah, so uh, when you were going through your process of, uh, as you're talking about trying to, to dial in your mouthpiece, what was it that you were looking for in terms of equipment change? So I'd been playing on that Bach 3C for probably like 10, over 10 years, and it was fine. And because I like freelancing in all different styles, it's, it was really great to have something that I could use in all different styles. And I had a lead mouthpiece um, in addition to that. But because I was doing so many different styles, I was like constantly alternating things, but playing it all on the same mouthpiece. Honestly, my mouth got like confused, if that's a thing, if that makes any sense. Yeah. And I felt like my sound changed. And this was probably just like from being too busy and not practicing enough and not, you know, spending time on fundamentals or something. But like my sound concept was so blurred between multiple genres that I didn't feel like I had this strong me Kate sound unless I was playing the stuff for my album. So like with my CD stuff, I'm like, I know exactly how it should sound. I have it in my head, but even just playing like a classical etude, I'd be like, oh, this isn't like, I'm not sounding like the way I want to sound. And it was very focused on classical sound because I felt like that 3C was really great for like Broadway and jazz stuff, but like the classical sound just like was not happening on it. And so I got introduced to Dennis Wick, I guess probably like maybe a year ago at this point. And as soon as I played this mouthpiece, I was like, oh, this is the classical sound. And I was never one of those like put in a mouthpiece and it's instantly better kind of people. I'm like, that's ridiculous. Like those people are lying. But it really was true with this. And I was like, oh, like this is the classical sound that I've, I've been trying to find. Like I need this. Um, but because I was so busy, I didn't have time to like fully make the switch to it because, you know, when you're freelancing and doing so many things, like that's not the time to just put it in a new mouthpiece and be like, great, this is me now. Um, and so I switched in March as soon as everything shut down, I'm like, great, this is my new mouthpiece. Like I'm going to learn it and it's going to be fine. And it took probably like a month for everything to feel comfortable. And then it was great. I was like, why did I ever do anything other than this? And so then I have my mouthpiece for classical stuff. I have my jazz mouthpiece and I have my lead mouthpiece. And for me, that's just like what works. And it's so easy to separate the sounds now. And like, I can sort of play like some like bluesy phrases on my main classical mouthpiece, but it's not gonna sound like the true jazz sound that I'm going for unless I switch. So it's flexible, um, but like that classical sound that I always wanted, that I was always like, why why do other people sound like that? And I sound like this. Now I have that, which is really cool. Okay, that's cool. All right, so one of the things, uh, so we're gonna stay on this gear subject for a moment. Um, one of the things that, that people, uh, I think have problems with is they don't know how to pick gear, you know? So it's, uh, that what, what's in the local music store, you know, what's, what's on sale, the cheapest on eBay or, or what's this famous person playing. Uh, so as a, as a performer, as an educator, um, you know, what advice would you give to people who are looking to, change gear uh in order to let's uh, let's you work with what you're going through that you you want to create a, a very specific and identifiable sound what are the the things that you would suggest them doing and the approach that you would suggest them taking to to finding the right gear for them yeah definitely um well i'd say focus on what feels good not what sounds good it sounds really stupid um but unless you're one of those people where like you can play any mouthpiece and like it doesn't feel any different to you but i'm super sensitive to feel so i played some mouthpieces especially when i was looking for a new pick mouthpiece and like the sound sounds great but it feels awful and it feels like you're playing on this like crazy weird thing and i would never want to do that every day so like for me that feel is so much more important than the sound because you don't always work on the sound a little bit and sort of obviously you know like chip it stamp like these things that we work on literally every day for our sound um but you can't change if it feels bad or it feels awkward um, so for me, like feel translates to rim size. So like whatever is most comfortable for the shape of your lips is a really great starting point. Um, also like working on what you know. So like if you know you're like, oh, I like my mouthpiece now, but it's just a little too shallow. And so it's like, okay, like what is slightly bigger than that? And like, is that better? Um, I generally don't recommend people do the whole like true safari of like, okay, I used to play on this kind of mouthpiece. Now I'm going to play on like these five different brands. It's like, no, 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 like don't go, don't go too far. Cause then you're like, you'll lose where home is and you won't be able to come back. So I think like small changes are good when experimenting. Cause then you're like, okay, so like too big is not it. Like I need something like this. Um, but just opening the door and like picking literally any mouthpiece on the shelf is like not going to be the thing that's going to help. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Unfortunately, most of us, 
have done that at some point in our career. Uh, yeah. But, you know, hey, yeah, those are the things you learn. So uh, speaking of, of your performance and, you know, you, you were talking about, you know, trying to get your classical sound, your jazz sound and your lead sound. Uh, so you do a variety of, uh, of gigs. You're called on to do a lot of different things. So um, with your your classical sound, what's your you know, what? is the thing that inspires you about that sound what what is the the uh the sound that that you hear that you're striving to to produce um i think i'm thinking of things like resonance and like beauty through every note and on every phrase um sometimes when people play and they're like not really paying attention you're you'll play a phrase and like the beginning of it's pretty and the end of it's pretty and like overall it's like fine like the air was there the sound was there but you're not like like taking the audience on a journey with you on like every single note and so when i'm playing phrases and stuff i'm trying to be like okay every note is important and like let me carry you from like here to here in the phrase um so i'm thinking about that kind of stuff like definitely sound um i guess like i mean classical playing has like such a wide variety of things but i'm definitely thinking of like style and like the things that i'm going for like whether it is like principal trumpet sound or like lyrical soloist sound and so how i can sort of be the master of all of those things or i guess the things that i'm practicing all the time yeah so like if you had to to say um because we we all we have our unique sound everybody's got a unique sound and that's probably one of the hardest things for me to to grasp is that you know uh i i've been told for so long that my sound was bad by teachers mm. Uh, as opposed to uh, we can we can refine your sound. It was like we just want to change your sound. Um, and now the the things about my sound that they didn't like are the things that keep me working, which is, you know, having a, a very because you know, I mostly do commercial work. So they I need to have that kind of penetrating uh, sound. It just needed to be smoothed out a little bit. But um, so I think everybody's got got uh, this this concept of sound in their head and their, their own natural sound. But then there are always people that you're going to look at as kind of like the role model for what that sound is like. So, um, you know, who do you, if you had to say, well, in terms of my classical sound, in terms of my jazz sound, in terms of my, my lead sound, these are the people that I looked and go, yeah, th that's my inspiration. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. I'd say probably right now I've been listening to a lot of like Teen Thing Halseth. Um, I love her sound. Alison Balsam for sure, um, especially for like pick playing and like solo rep. Um, love it. Kevin Cobb for the like the resonance and the beauty on every note, like through phrases. Um, so those are my classical peeps. Um, jazz wise, I was recently on this like Chet Baker kick, I feel like for like my whole life. And so normally I would say like Miles and Chet Baker have been like my sound concepts in jazz. Um, but I'm trying to expand that to like the whole like Lee Morgan, Roy Hargrove sound, um, because at least as a mostly classical trained person, like that style of jazz playing is like so foreign to me. And like, how can I make my sound like brassy and bright and loud and just like so easy sounding. It's like those people are not trying, like it doesn't sound like they're trying very hard. It just sounds like that's what comes out. And so I'm trying to get that like ease in my jazz playing more. Um, I don't know, it just sounds like those, you know, they're like going for it, if that makes yeah. sense. And I've been oh, playing yeah. a lot of um, like brat, like funk New Orleans style brass band stuff in quarantine. And so having that sound has been like super helpful for that. Right. Um, Broadway stuff. I'd say Tony Cadlick for sure. Oh my God. He's just so good. Love yeah. his playing. Um, and he's one of those people who just like never like stops amazing me with his playing because I did um, like, he just has like, you know, bags of tricks all over the place. Um, so I did a recording of my arrangement of the Tomasi fanfare from the brass ensemble piece, the fanfare liturgiques um, for trumpet octet. And he played on it and was just like, awesome. And he, I was like, I didn't even know you had a seat trumpet. And he sounded just like incredible. I'm like, oh my God, like who knew? Like I knew you would sound good, but like he sounded really, really good. And then he put together a big brass collaboration for all the Broadway people. 
and um i think it was like a christmas piece it was around christmas time um like another like awesome bolt you know brass fanfare kind of thing and he played pick on it i was like oh my god your piccolo playing is so good and so like having someone like that who's just like an awesome commercial player like great classical player um and like because of he's you know in the new york pop so i feel like that's like the thing so i try not to do a lot of like you know before i die i want to play like this gig but like that's definitely one of the things that i'm just like yes that would be super sweet yeah 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 how about the how about your lead playing oh yeah lead playing um definitely tony for sure um a lot of other people let me think honestly you know i feel like my answer should be like big band lead players i feel like that's like what people say and like i love listening to you know like Jones and Count Basie and like all of these amazing big bands um but my lead playing like idea is from a Broadway construct because that's what I want to be doing like that's sort of what I need my lead sound to sound like um so people like Raul Agras are just like super killing um definitely Tony for sure um who else do I love Glenn Drews on Chicago um, like those people that just like wall of sound. Oh, Don Downs. I watched the book on um, Spider-Man and Aladdin when he was playing lead on it. And I've like never heard a louder trumpet section in Broadway. I was like, oh, like, oh no. <laughs> like also I have to sit next to you guys for three hours. Like this is insane. Um, so those kind of things for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's cool. Those are some, uh, some great names. And, uh, so for people who aren't familiar with some of those artists, definitely check them out. Uh, I know Tony is definitely one of my all time favorite players. Uh, you know, just like you said, anything he plays, is just, it's, it's killing. So good. Yeah. 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 I, I, you don't know whether you want to just, you know, you know, run up and hug him or, or, you know, punch (laughs) punch him in the head yeah exactly <laughs> but he's so nice too and that's why yeah. it's like you can't hate these people he actually inspired me to do one of my recent arrangements which was um the marvin gay tune what's going on mm-hmm. um he played it on one of his like quarantine concerts a couple months ago and he was just doing everything with tracks that he made in logic and i was like whoa like this sounds incredible and it's just him playing with the tracks um and it's not so good on flugelhorn so i was like oh my god okay i have to arrange that for flugel and string quartet so i'm really pumped about uh-huh. that one which will be out later this month awesome i'll have to look for that for sure for sure actually you get that let me know and and i'll make sure to put links in the update the show notes and people can can get to that so um with with the broadway stuff that you've been doing um you know in the past you've done you've done some off-broadway stuff you've done some on-broadway stuff yes as well yeah i've been subbing on a show for a couple of years which has been amazing yeah awesome yeah i i love broadway i haven't been able to to see a show in uh way too long and obviously you know nobody's seen a show recently but um you know, it was kind of disappointing, uh, like in the 80s when I was when I was going up there a lot more, uh, there was definitely a lot more, you know, in terms of, of the live bands. But then, you know, things started to get more and more pared down. So uh, with with the, the limited number of, of shows that are running these days that are running full orchestras, um, you know, how how do you navigate that world in, in terms of, of, uh, you know, getting into those gigs and how are people to, you know, in general to work with, uh, especially, you know, coming from that position of being a, a female trumpet player, uh, in, in a t- particularly male dominated world. Yeah. The Broadway scene is very male dominated. Um, it's crazy. I think like in terms of just a trumpet player or horn player in general, being as versatile as possible is going to be the thing that, at least in my mind, is going to bring success. Um, the shows, the off-Broadway shows that I've had are very like chamber music-y, like they're sort of like indie rock musical theater style-wise, um, but it just feels like I'm playing chamber music. And so the first show that I had was called Alice by Heart, and I had a lot of like piccolo fanfares, like in, you know, these like up-tempo numbers and things like that. So it was very like Beatles influence, but also um, like schmaltzy flugel solos where it's like just me and the singer. And so like, can I be lyrical in that way too? Um, And then we also had like in that same tune, like a bunch of like, um, you know, like classic swing, like high note falls and scoops and all that good stuff. Um, So being flexible and able to hang in all of those different genres, I think is 
the thing, um, at least for me, the thing that I like being able to bring to a pit is all of the solo work that I do. And so whether that's like experimental weird sounds um, and like being able to improvise in that way, but also just the fact that I feel like I, you know, have something to offer as like my own sound as a soloist and more um, like beyond what like a typical like Broadway pit player has, if that makes sense. Like there's so many people who are so great at that and that's all they do and they're like you know bomb freelancers in town um but i like knowing that i am also a soloist and that i have things to say as a soloist like just me on the instrument and so i i try and bring those into the pit as well yeah that's very cool uh so yeah i've uh, been really interested in knowing uh i want to go actually back to uh the brass out loud um this is this is a collaborative effort, obviously, uh, with that. Who are some of the other people that are involved with with that project uh, in in terms of, of steering the direction? Yeah, um, super good question. Definitely should have mentioned them before. So my friend Rebecca Karu, she was the founder of Brass Out Loud, and she brought Melissa Munoz and I on to the project. And so she's a French horn player here in New York City, um, although. And I think we, I guess we have met several times in person, but it was like we were both attending the same concert. So we haven't like actually spoken in person, which is totally crazy. And then Melissa Munoz, she's a trumpet player based in Texas right now. And she, I have met her in person. We, I was playing with the Ronnie Marsalis Philadelphia Big Brass Band, I guess about a year ago in January. And she was at our concert and she was a friend of some of the other people in the group. And so we all had that like after concert hang together. And I was like, oh, you're really cool. Like we should maintain a friendship over, you know, the internet and all of that good stuff. And so I haven't really had a lot of, um, like positive experiences with other female brass players sometimes i think people can be kind of bitchy and judgy and you know not necessarily good colleagues i'm really lucky that in my own brass quintet like everyone is super awesome to work with um but to be running a business with other women brass players is like a whole different thing and so there's so many things that we're thinking about um whether it's like literally just posting on social media or fundraising or like how are we accepting money from all of these participants and so having people that are just like nice normal respectful people and professional uh, makes everything so much easier and we're actually giving um a master class tomorrow so i already have seen them today and so uh, okay. <laughs> feels very nice to be like i just saw them and now let me rag about how awesome they are yeah uh, yeah that's good uh so like what do you see the end game uh, for, for this venture being? I mean, what what do you hope to, to uh, accomplish? And, you know, what's going to be the, the thing that you would do and, and you'd be able to point it and go, yeah, we, we, we nailed it on this one. With Brass Out Loud? Yeah. Um, well, in some ways, we already reached that because we had such an amazing first workshop. Um, but we're definitely, obviously, continuing the fun all year. So having um, even larger turnouts at all workshops, at all of our bold chats where we interview specific faculty members, we're having a bunch of panels throughout the year as we did last year, um, but on specific topics. And our first one, I'm not exactly sure if I'm supposed to talk about it, but it's called Visionaries. And it, it features some of the super, super, super brass stars um, who shall not be named at this time. Um, but we're really lucky that we like shot our shot and like aimed for the stars with the cats of all cats with that one. And it's going to be really cool. Um, but yeah, I think like I mean, people say that like, oh, it's like the whole like when there are nine thing of like, you know, we shouldn't need to be talking about these things. And like when everything, when everyone is diverse and we won't need to have these conversations anymore. And I feel like that's like, I mean, yeah, that day would be super awesome. But also we kind of won't really know like when that day has arrived, like when is everyone going to be a good ally? When are we all going to hire diverse voices like all the time? Um, so I definitely see it as something that's going to continue on and on. We're talking about so many things like, you know, diversity is just sort of like, I guess, the beginning of the conversation, because like at our actual workshop, we're doing all the same things that any other brass festival would do, like warm ups and performance masterclasses. Um, but we're sort of focusing on how can we make things relevant to what musicians really need today. And so we're talking about like the musicians of today in terms of, of diversity. We're also talking about the musicians of today in terms of like real world skills that musicians actually need to know because people are not teaching these in school. And so we had classes on mindset and music entrepreneurship and yoga and working with composers, um, audition prep, like all of these things that nobody really talks about and people often have to like seek out other resources for. Um, and so having an all-in-one conference and one organization that we're talking about all these things all year makes it super impactful. 
Yeah, you know, and that that's been a running theme that uh, has come up uh, with people that that I've talked to on the same concept. Uh, And I'm a big believer that that the the educational system as a whole needs to be revamped. There, there are so many things about the way that the, all the way from from public school to higher education, mm-hmm. um, and I, I think especially for musicians, uh, you know, in this kind of this very specialty uh, niche, um, that you know we're, we're still beholden to so many uh, old traditions that really aren't serving us. And, and, and if we spent if we spend as much time uh, doing things like uh, entrepreneurship. Uh, on marketing, on, you know, just, you know, the, the, you know, like you said, dealing with composers, dealing with directors, you know, how to successfully navigate uh, auditions. And we spend as much time on that as we did on, you know, Gregorian chants. Uh, We we would have, you know, a, a a new generation of people who are ready to do their job to the best of their ability. Uh, But, you know, I, I think that that that's a, I, I have to really uh, applaud anyone who is taking a step to create this environment where people are, are learning the real world skills uh, of being a musician. Because, you know, you know, it's easier, I think, because you're you're in that world where you're uh, you're teaching and you're gigging. And so you're you're able to see that. And I think sometimes people, especially in academia, uh, they get so separated from that working world that they lose sight of the stuff that's really that, you know, yes, you got to be able to play your horn. But there's other stuff that that is just as important in terms of having a successful career. And if you're setting up someone for success, you got to do that stuff. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And as a young person, I mean, it's in some ways a privilege that I am able to say these things to my students because like I know what it's actually like to you know email 30 places and be like hey can my quintet play at your coffee shop and all of these things that um you know older more seasoned professors are like you know having you know haven't had experience with in a while and so it's nice to be able to be like yes students like go do this thing it's important so yeah well you know and I think that's uh it, it's an important thing to think about in terms of the continuum of uh, of skill and development and uh, you know the the best you know if you want to take the hot the, the cat of all cats, um, they have certain lessons that they can share. Obviously, I mean they they've got the years of experience, they've got the accolades and things like that. But sometimes it's really hard for a younger or newer student to gather those lessons because there's so much separation between mm-hmm. them. Uh, so sometimes they, you know you just need somebody that's one step ahead of you or two steps ahead of you. Uh, because what they're doing, you can see as being difficult, but you can see as being achievable. You know, Definitely. if you you look at, at some, you know, look at the superstars, and it's like, oh, well, that's because they're, you know, it, that's Doc or that's, you know, or, the, you know, that's this person, that's that person. So you, you can't really relate to the things that they've had to go through. Um, so, yeah, I, th- I think that this new generation of, of players, I mean, every generation has the responsibility of, pulling up the next generation and uh, setting them up for better success. But, uh, mm-hmm, definitely. yeah, like you said, sometimes people are a little too bitchy and, uh, you know, they don't, they don't want anybody, you know, biting their gigs. So yeah, there's a lot of that whole, like covering their pot action, which I don't love. Um, so yeah. Um, I was giving a master class at, um, a different school and Lexi Signer, I think, you know, her, do you I know, know her? Lexi. Yeah. Dr. Dr. Lexi. And she just had like the best line of like, if my students end up taking my gig of like, if they end up being more successful than me, then like my job is done. And I originally heard that. I was like, wait, really? Like, actually, like, I kind of want my gig, but it's like, no, that's what we're trying to do here. We're trying to raise people that are going to do things that we didn't even realize were possible. People that are going to be even better than us. Um, cause I'm sure that some of my teachers have been like, wow, like, you know, Kate is doing a lot of things that I never thought were possible, like in my own career. Like I didn't know how to edit audio when I was her age or something. Um, and I also think about, especially in terms of diversity, sometimes, um, not even just in the women brass world, but anyone out there who's thinking like, oh, like why should some, someone else of this other, you know, whatever category get the job when I also want the job. And in my mind, it's like having more female trumpet players on Broadway helps me like, yes, I would like to be that person in that chair on that gig. 
But also if it's somebody else, that means that the world is seeing that someone else too. And they're saying like, oh, women are on Broadway. Like that's so cool, that's a thing. And so more people are be like, ah, oh, yes, women can be on Broadway because of whoever that is. So I would like it to be me, but also if it is someone else, like that's fucking great. So mm. that is an, an attitude that I think we all should be thinking about more. Yeah, I mean, uh, for me, like uh, when my my previous life before this, um, I was a, a professional martial arts instructor, and you know, after years of doing that, I, I kept telling my students, you know, I want you to be better than me, or at least we're better than I am, you know, after you know so many years of practice. But I'm not going to let you get better than me in that <laughs> I'm going to work my ass off, you know, oh, so. Definitely. You know, yes. so the better you get, the more, the harder I have to work to keep my skills sharp. Mm -hmm. And if you do pass me, then great. You know, that like, like Lexi said, you know, you, you know, I've done my job, you know, I've, I've set you up for the best success mm -hmm. possible. And I think, you know, whether you, whether you're a, a teacher or just a human being, that's what we should be trying to do. We should be trying to set up the next generation to be so much better off than we are and learn from our mistakes and you know but hey you know here we go again things that that are that are so so simple but uh i don't think we're ever going to really get around those because of yeah human, i can't change everyone i can only change, change the only, only things, things that, that i control, control so. so yep change yourself and you know be the example you know so mm -hmm. that that's really, really important all right well we're going to do uh my favorite part of the show this is uh a series of rapid fire questions this is actually called the robinson's remedy rapid fire round Ooh, uh yes. so brought to us by our good friends kenny and richard at robinson's remedies of which kate is an endorsing artist so yes i was going to show you my whole pack of all of the things that they recently sent me but i think it's too deep in there to find yeah, yeah. But yes i'm so happy to be an endorsing artist because that stuff is amazing Yes, it's chops in a bottle. So uh, what we're going to do is I'm going to uh, throw out a bunch of different questions to you. They're going to be all over the place. Uh, some will be about music, some will not. Just give me your best answer to each of these. And here we go is Kate. Who's the biggest influence on your life that is not a trumpet player? Oh, can it be myself? I don't know. That's so hard. Sure. I don't know. Yeah, That's me, I guess. Um I think we're the average of the five people we, we spend the most time with. So making sure that the five of me and other people around me are great. That's who it's going to be. Okay. Uh, what's your favorite book? Mm, this is a hard one. I don't think I have a favorite book. I read a lot, but no, I don't have one right now. Schlossberg. <laughs> I know. I was like, Arben was kind of my first thought, but like, not really. I don't know. <laughs> All right. Uh, what's the worst movie you've ever seen? I feel like this might be a hot take, but Fargo, I'm just like not that kind of person that watches those kind of movies. I was just like, what is happening right now? Okay. Uh, if you weren't a trumpet player, what would you want to do? I think I'd probably work in food in some way. I think it would be super awesome to have my own little cafe. Um, maybe we can have music at this cafe also, but I love cooking and eating definitely um so that would probably be it mm, what's your favorite kind of food dessert is that, is that, <laughs> dessert that dessert is, yeah yeah sure <laughs> <laughs> yeah all right pastries or uh other kind of desserts uh well i'd say donuts first um but yesterday i went out with a friend and got like a cookie flight so like we went to three different cookie places and got a cookie from each and that was pretty awesome oh man that sounds too good yeah, i'm jonesing for donuts right now anyway that's a bad thing uh what's your favorite drink coffee if we're keeping it daytime professional but otherwise i'd say beer okay uh okay we're gonna go di deeper into this one uh give me a specific kind of beer okay i like um New England IPAs. I like Pilsners. I like lagers. Not really like a super dark beer kind of person. So that's never going to be the fave. Um, but yeah, I like going to breweries. I mean, that's sort of sort of a thing still in New York that's possible. Um, but yeah, just being able to try different kinds. It's kind of awesome. Okay. Yeah, I, I've got uh, I, I 
I don't know what happened, but I suddenly found that I cannot drink beer anymore, and I was I was a serious beer drinker. Uh, That's and bummer. Yeah, yeah. So uh, a couple of friends of mine. I don't know if you know Chris Cromer. Uh, has a um, a minor tune up down in Delaware uh, repair shop and. Uh, Rob Qualick from uh, used to be in uh, Richmond, but now he's down in, in Nashville. We constantly are messaging each other about uh, beer selections. So um, it was, you know, a lot of New England IPAs and that sort of stuff. So unfortunately, no more for me. Right, Kate, so here's our next question. Um, you get have a dinner party, invite any three living people. Who would they be? Mm, okay, so Wynn Marsalis, that would be a first one. Um, I think Jonathan Baptiste. I honestly don't know him very well, but he seems like a really interesting person to talk about, and I would love to hear them talk about music together. Um, and Kamala Harris, going for it. Why Ooh, not? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> there you go. All right, I like that one. Um, same dinner party. You've got three additional chairs, but the caveat is that the three people that you can invite have to be from history. So any three people that are no longer with us, who would those people be? Um, ooh, this, I don't know why this is harder for some reason. Um, Maurice Andre would be pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, hmm, RBG. Get some power women in there. Yeah. Um, one more. Uh, um, Miles Davis. That, again, that'd be a, a very interesting, uh, very interesting right? hang. Yeah, I like yeah. that. Yeah. All right, lacquer plated or raw? Lacquer. Okay. What is your favorite quote? I have one on my wall right now. Um, that says oh wait let me i can bring you with me this is amazing um so i can read it in perfect perfect attention where attention goes energy flows gotcha i know that one well i use it all the time yes love it all right what is your greatest fear i think it's just being shitty I don't want to be bad at what I do. I want to make sure that I'm good. And whatever that is, like whatever category that is, I want to be good at it. Okay, cool. Uh, you could be granted one superpower. What would it be? Mm, I guess like perfect hearing. Is that a thing? Does that count? I don't know. Yeah, it's your, Superhero it's- ears to hear every bad thing in sounds. Oh boy. It's a lot of pressure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> don't just don't listen to me. Um <laughs> what aspect of trumpet playing do you feel is the most overrated? Um I think like getting everyone to sound the same. I feel like there's like this idea. It's funny because it's so like counter to what I was talking about before, but there's like this idea of like classical trumpet sound and like sort of realizing now, especially with multiple career options and, you know, avenues for people to explore that like classical sound of trumpet world doesn't have to mean the same thing for everyone. And letting people know that like you can have orchestral players who will sound slightly different. Like we don't all need to sound exactly the same way. I think that that might be a good one. Okay, cool. Uh, What aspect do you think is the most underrated? Developing your own voice. So I guess that's kind of like what I said before. Um, But yeah, having your own things that you like to play, your own way of doing things. That was never something that was talked about to me in school. You know, the idea that we can be our own, you know, have something to say that nobody else can say. That's a really important thing. Yeah. Okay. Uh, You can go back in time and give your younger self one piece of advice about music. What would it be? Mm, this is tricky. Um, ooh, listen more to your teachers, honestly. That would be it. That sounds so stupid. Um, I was such a rebellious student. I probably still am. I'm always like, oh, like, I hear you, but I'm going to go do my own thing. And it's like, no, just listen to them. Like, they know what they're doing. 
So that's what okay. I'd say. Okay. Uh, what piece of advice would you give yourself about life? To not take everything so seriously. But like, yes, all of this is so important. This, all of this matters, but also like go have fun, like go do something. Okay. And finally, what do you want your legacy to be? That I truly made an impact on the brass community and the trumpet world in my playing and my work. All right. Well, that sounds like a, a worthwhile cause. So, uh, I want to thank you for spending time with me today and I uh, will have uh, their links in the show notes on how you can find out more about Brass Out Loud and the other things that Kate has going on. And in parting, what's, what's one thing that you, you would hope that people took away from our time together today? I hope people can feel inspired to find their own project whether it's you know specific music that you want to work on or developing your own sound on the instrument and just to go out into the world and present your authentic self to people and then realize that we all can always do more to make it a better diverse community all right well thank you very much for your inspiration kate i'm really looking forward to seeing what you do both uh on the horn as well as in the promotion of uh, brass instruments and uh, music in general. So uh, thanks so much for, for your hard work and your dedication. It's uh, it's a tremendous job you're doing. And, thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure. And for those of you joining us, thank you so much for hanging with us today. And remember, as always, peace and slight grease. We out. Hey, thank you so much for hanging with us today. This podcast is all about creating connection through our mutual love for the trumpet life. I hope that you learned a few things about today's guest and had some laughs along the way. Don't forget to give us a review. We love those five-star ratings. And please share this podcast with your friends. We want to see our hang grow for show. Have a suggestion for a future topic or a guest? Hit me up at thetrumpetgurus at gmail.com. Our opening theme was written and performed by Lexi Signor, and all other music comes courtesy of The Greatest Funeral Ever. So in the words of W.C. Handy, life is like a trumpet. If you don't put anything into it, you don't get anything out. So go out there and let your trumpet sound, and I'll see you at the next hang.